0: Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. All of those who came out and worked last week in the uh, the outreach we did at nine seventeen South Fulton Street, it was extremely hot. So uh, we all got to sweat together. So if you came out and stood around me and several others, you were sweating with the oldies. But it was fun it really was we saw some kids give their lives to christ and you know if just one kid's life was turned around it was worth it amen and thanks to chuck and mark for bringing the truck up and setting up the stage you guys were awesome and all the guys that helped put that together all the ladies who came out and served it was a joint effort i mean you know all of us working together made something happen that was tremendous and exciting and good And we're going to have more of those kind of things as we move along. And and that's what God's called us to do. He's called us. He's blessed us to be a blessing. And this place, this house is made to be a blessing. I hope you all don't mind me being comfortable because uh, I'm going to be that way whether you like it or not. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm glad that God set me free. There used to be a song we sing, Blessed Be the tie That Binds. It was not a God song. How it got in the hymnals, I don't know. If you wear a tie, God bless you. We'll pray for you. And it's okay. I mean, if you want to, that's totally up to you, but uh, not for me. Amen. Praise God. Well, I, I, I am excited this morning for a variety of reasons. Uh, one thing, I smell that good food back in the back. And you all know me. I, there's one thing that I love to do, and that's eat. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we're going to taste, we're going to see the Lord is good in a lot of different ways today. You know, there's a, there's a lot written in the Bible about baptism. It's not one of those things that we can just ignore. You know, you can say, well, you know, water baptism may be for somebody else, but it's not for me. It was, it, you know, it's, it's not a suggestion that we be baptized. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, Believe and be baptized, every one of you, right? Believe every one of them. He said, Believe and be baptized, and you shall be saved. And he that believeth and is baptized is saved already, and he that believes and is not baptized is condemned. Wow, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to be baptized in order to be saved? No, it doesn't mean that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. But what a baptism is a step of obedience. You're going to obey God, then be baptized. Because it's the simplest thing. I mean, God's not asking us to walk on water. He didn't say, believe and walk on water and you shall be saved. He didn't say, believe and climb the highest mountain and step on the edge of a cliff and you shall be saved. He just said, believe and be baptized. Now, what does it mean to be baptized? I'm glad you asked. Okay. What does it mean to be baptized? Well, it's symbolic of something, an inward work that has happened in our heart. It's an outward expression of an inward work. What is saying to the world is, I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ set the example in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. When he, you know, John was sent before Christ to reveal the Messiah. He was a forerunner to Jesus. And he was out preaching. And he was talking about... Look for the one, prepare the way of the Lord, you know, make straight the paths. Get ready for the Lord, repent of your sins and turn to righteousness. Make way for the Lord. And and then he sees Jesus coming and he recognizes him. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he had also said, there's one coming after me and I'm not even worthy to bend down and unloose his sandals. He's greater than I am. And when he saw Jesus, he he declared, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus said, I need to be baptized. And John says, whoa, wait, 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 wait just a minute. You're Messiah. You ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, in the King James vernacular, he says, this must be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. Some of the more modern translations said, this must be done as an act of obedience to God. So Jesus set the example for us, did he not? So he was baptized. And then when Jesus was baptized, and he goes down into the water with John, and he comes up, what did the Father say about him? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So it pleases God when we obey him. Jesus' first expression of obedience to God was to be baptized. That's the first thing he did. And after he was baptized, then he was led into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. But he went in the power of the Spirit. So we see that something happened. There was was a, a, a transaction that happened when Jesus was baptized. This was basically his bar mitzvah. Anybody know what a bar mitzvah is? Bar mitzvah is when there's a declaration over a young man in the Jewish faith that he is now a son. And when I say a son... I'm not talking about, you know, when, when, when my children were born, they were my babies. They grew up to become my sons. What that means is when they reached a certain point, you know, I, I didn't give them the car when they were three years old. I didn't do that. I didn't give them certain liberties when they were three-year-olds. But when they became of age, then I began to give them more liberties and, and, and begin to declare to them, everything that I have is yours. It all belongs to you. And there were certain things when they were kids, like, put that back. Leave that alone. Don't touch that. But when they get of age, it's like, okay, you understand how to use this. You understand what this is for. You understand. So Jesus, he was saying, if this is my beloved son. I am declaring that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He was obedient to the Father. When we obey God, it pleases him. Jesus said, you know shall this by this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another and this is my commandment that you love one another that your joy may be full and he tells us that if you love me you will do what you will keep my commandments if you love me you will keep my commandments so if we say we love jesus and we don't keep our his commandments then do we truly love him you know it's just like we say our, we love our our mate our husband, or our wife, and then we go out and cheat on them. You know, we don't really love them if we do that. The same with with Jesus. If we love Him, we'll keep His commandments. So, I want to give you some scriptures to to hang your hat on this morning. You know, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when, when the disciples, the apostles had gone to the upper room, and there were 120 of them, and they were gathered in the upper room, and they were waiting on the promise of the Father. Remember, in Luke uh, 24, 49, he says, go and wait for the promise of Terry in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, and he tells them again in Acts chapter 1, says, go and wait, and you shall receive the promise of the, of, the, of, of the Father not many days from now. So they were waiting on the promise of the Father, and, and, and so on the day of Pentecost, it said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, which was the day of the, of the feast, and so when the feast of, of Pentecost had fully come, they were gathered there in the upper room praying, and the Holy Spirit came. And when he came, he came like a rushing mighty wind. I mean, it caused a commotion. I mean, it's just like everybody's looking and like, what in the world is going on? I mean, what is this, you know, this happening? I was sitting in my office just the other day. I was talking to someone, and all of a sudden, this wind just blew up out of nowhere. I mean, just like, whoo, you know, and, and, and rain and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, man, it's almost like the day of Pentecost, you know, whoo! It, it It made some noise, and it did some stuff. And so then it says, and he came and he sat upon each of them like cloven tongues of fire. And they began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And then people began to question what's going on. You know what, folks? I think it's a good thing when people look at your church and they wonder what's going on. You know, if they can figure it out, I mean, what's that all about, you know? We're just the norm. What's the norm? I want to be the abnormals. I want to be the ones where God is moving in such power and demonstration that you never know what to expect when you come in. You know, it's like, you know, what are you going to do at church this Sunday? I don't know. It's whatever God wants to do when he shows up. We just do whatever he wants to do, you know. And that's what was happening on the day of Pentecost. And so everybody is, is, is kind of, you know, standing around and they're kind of analyzing what's going on. And says, I know what's going on. They're drunk. They are drunk. I mean, people don't act like that normally. You know, babble in tongues and things like that. They just don't do that normally. And Peter stood up, and this cowardly man who had, who had, who had denied Christ three times, this cowardly man who had went and hid himself and, and pouted and everything else and came squalling and bawling because he, he, he repented, and all, which is good. You know, he did that. But he comes back, and, and here it is on the day of Pentecost. Now, he's the very one that stands up. And he says, men and brethren, cistern, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. Now, he didn't say they weren't drunk. I mean, there was something going on, but they were drunk in a different kind of way. They were, on, they were sipping on the new wine. As a matter of fact, they were gulping it down, and it was just like, these men are not drunk, as you suppose. But this is that which was promised by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And he goes into this thing, this discourse about what was happening. And this was the fulfillment of the promise of the Father that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus had told his disciples, I've got to go to the Father. When I go, I I'll send the Holy Spirit. So this is what was happening. And then Peter goes into this thing, and he begins to tell them, because they were Jewish believers, and he said, this Christ, this man... That you crucified and you hung on the cross is indeed the Lord and the Christ, and this is what has happened. He has showed himself here, he showed himself strong, and this is what's going on. And it says, When all of this happened, said they were cut to the heart. And they said, What do we do? I mean, what do we do? I mean, Obviously, this is of God, and, and we don't want the judgment of God on us. What do we do? And, and I'm going to read some scripture to you out of out of uh, Acts chapter two, verses thirty-six uh, to uh, forty-one. It says, "So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you cruci- crucified, to be bo- both Lord and Messiah." And Peter's word pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, "What should we do?" And Peter replied, "What did he say?" I got it up here. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and then be baptized. baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now why be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins didn't he forgive us before we're baptized? Of course he did. He forgave us when he hung on he forgave us from the foundation of the world. Jesus showed us the Father's forgiveness by dying in our place to take the penalty for our sins on the cross. But it's when we believe and are baptized, it's an outward expression of an inward. Outward act of what's going on in here. When we repent and we turn away from our sins and we turn toward God, we have change of mind and heart toward God. Before you came to Christ, what did you think of God? If you're like me, you didn't like Him very much. You didn't want nothing to do with Him. You were, you were just like sheep that were, that were going after you your own way. You, you were doing your own thing, and Jesus reached out to you, and, and, and he found you. And when he found you, and the Holy Spirit drew, drew you to him, then you had a change of mind and heart toward God. You realize that this is the Son of God, that he died on the cross to save me and my sins, and you believed in him. And now that you believe in him, what next? Be baptized. You see, in the, in, the, in the early church, when someone was baptized, there wasn't a whole lot of water around. It wasn't like you could just go turn on a spigot and run a bathtub full of water. They had to go somewhere to get water. And all of the places they went to were public places. So when they did a water baptism, well, it wasn't like they would go into the synagogue and set up a baptistry. They had to go where the water was. And so with the go where the water was, it was a public place. And so when they were baptized, they were identifying with Christ. And when they identified with Christ, it cost them something. So often it meant that they were expelled from their families. They had nothing else to do with them. A lot of theologians believe that that happened to the Apostle Paul, that he, being a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, that, that he probably had a family when he came to Jesus. But when he gave his life to Christ and he was baptized, his family abandoned him. Have you ever thought about that? Because he was no young man. He was an older guy, and he had prestige, and he probably had a wife, and he probably had children. But when he became a believer in Christ, they probably abandoned him when he was baptized. So we're saying to the Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what it costs. I'm making a public declaration that I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm all in. Because when you go all in, you're all in, right? And I believe that's why baptism, the word itself, is taken from the Greek word baptizo. And it literally means to dip and die or to immerse or submerge. So when you dip something and die, you don't, you don't want to just kind of stick it on the top. And you don't want to sprinkle it because if you do, what do you get? tie-dye, yeah. So we don't want a tie-dye relationship with God. We want to go all in. Because when we go all in, it changes everything about us. I'll never forget the moment that I was baptized, and I stood in the water, and I went under, and I came up. It was then that I realized, man, there's no turning back. I've said to all these people, all of these witnesses around me, that I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, that was kind of bump along the road. You know, I've made a public declaration. If I'm a man of my word and I've made this public declaration, there's no going back. Before, you know, I could kind of sneak around and say, well, you know, I, I've checked this thing out. It just don't work for me. So, I'm. But at this point, it's like, man, I'm all in. And so... He says to us, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's another story in itself, and and I I don't have time to go into all that this morning, but I will later. So, baptism is a matter of obedience. Jesus, of course, gave us his example in Matthew 3.15. And then Matthew 28 and 18.20, he said, Then Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Whenever you see that word, therefore, what do you have to do? You have to stop and ask, what is it there for? Okay? Therefore, go and make disciples. If he's been given all authority, we've been given all of his authority. So we are to go and make disciples of all nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. So, what is the first command of the believer? Repent. Repent. Turn away from your sins and turn toward God. That's the first command. The second commandment then is to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So our response to the command to be baptized should be the same as a certain Ethiopian eunuch that was found in the book of Acts chapter 8. Philip, the evangelist, who just came on the scene out of nowhere and was... A deacon in the church in Jerusalem, before he recognized, he took a spiritual gifts class and found out that he was an evangelist. And the next thing you know, you see him up in Samaria. And he's having a crusade, and people are being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And demons are coming out of them with shrieks, and they're being healed. And people are bringing people to him to be healed. And all these great things are happening And then the Holy Spirit tells Philip to lead this dynamic crusade and to take the road that leads from Jerusalem down to Gaza and somewhere along that road he encountered this Ethiopian who's sitting in a chariot and he's reading a scroll. And this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch was reading a scroll and he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. And He's reading aloud, and and as Philip, the Spirit tells Philip to come and go alongside the chariot. So here's the chariot kind of moping along, and this guy's reading, and Philip's like, Hey, do you know what you're reading? And the guy's like, Stop the chariot. He said, Come up in here with me. So Philip gets in the chariot with him, and he starts reading it out. He says, That's out of the book of Isaiah. And it's declaring the Messiah, the Lord. And he he believes on Jesus, and at the moment that he believes on Jesus, I guess he asked Philip, what do I do now? Obviously, he did, because the next thing you know, he sees a body of water, and he says, well, there's some water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? You see, he didn't ask the question, why do I have to be baptized? He says, what's to stop me from being baptized? You know, we ought to have that kind of opinion, that kind of attitude toward water to baptism. And what's stopping me? You know. You know, the thing that stops a lot of us is we just want to get our hair wet. You know, or or, or we just don't want somebody shoving us down in the water. Well, if it will make you feel better, I've done this for forty years and I haven't lost one yet. Of course, there's always a first. (laughs) But if it happens, you'll go to heaven. So, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I heard of one pastor holding somebody down a little bit longer, and they said, why'd you hold it down so long? He said, well, I thought those bubbles was of the Spirit. (laughs) Folks, it's really all about obedience. The eunuch was ready to obey. You can tell he had a change of heart by his attitude. You see, that's how we can tell we've had a change of heart is by our attitude. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward attitude. And we don't want to do it. That's just saying, hey, we haven't truly repented yet. You know, there's some things we, we don't want to make it public yet. We just want to kind of, you know, my relationship with Jesus is personal. Of course it is. But it's also Public. Because if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you were a believer in Christ, your life is changing. It's going to change. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You can't help it. Your nature changes because you are born again and you're giving a new nature. That's why it changes. If that changes, then the first thing you want to do is obey your Savior because you love Him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so it's just an expression of the love that we have for Jesus and the declaration that we want to identify with Him. I just want to give you this one more little passage of Scripture found in Romans chapter 6. Paul kind of brings it out about baptism. And he's talking about grace in the former chapter in in, in Romans chapter 5. You he's talking about the grace of God and how that he loved us while we were yet in sin and, and how that it's all about the grace of God. And then he turns around in, in chapter 6, and actually it's just a continuum. There is no chapter breaks or verse breaks in the original languages. The translators have done that for memory's sake so that we can find it, you know, so we can go there. If, if you just said, well, it's found in the book of Romans. Well, we're at, I don't know. It's somewhere along about paragraph so-and-so and sentence so-and-so. But he's broken, they've broken it down in the chapters and verses so that we can study it better and get a hold of it better. <laughs> so here it is in Romans 6, 1 through 8. It says, well, then, in light of the grace of God and all that God has done for us and how that he doesn't impute our sins against us anymore, he doesn't count them against us. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? What's the answer? Of course not. I mean, it's almost like the Apostle Paul is saying, Oh, you a big dummy. You don't keep on sinning to show the grace of God. The grace of God is to get you out of sin. The grace of God is to save you from sin, not to save you in your sins. It's to save you from sin. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? For we died and we were buried with Christ by what? Baptism. And just as Christ was raised from from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we, we may also live new lives. And since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful lives, now here's the picture, We're getting ready to be baptized. Our old sinful lives were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For since we have died into the water we go with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we have died with Christ, up we come. We know that we shall also live with him. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection in our lives. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal bodies shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that lives within you. It's a spiritual birth that has happened inside of us, and this is an outward expression of what's happened inside. It's saying to the world, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him. I belong to no other. And I'm immersing myself into Christ." And I'm living in Christ. He is my life. And what does water represent? Also, it represents the Spirit. It represents the Word. It represents the life of God. So I'm going down into a watery grave, but I'm coming up clean. I'm coming up fresh. I'm coming up alive. Amen. Amen. He was crucified because of sin, our sin. He paid the penalty for our sins, which set us free from the penalty of death that we were under. And because of this, we identify with Christ by baptism going down into the water of grave, watery grave. We're cleansed from our sins just as our bodies are cleansed by the washing of the Word. Our cleansing is made complete as our whole body is submerged into the water. And this is symbolic, but it serves as a reminder that we have publicly shown our identification with Christ who was buried by death but made alive by the Spirit. So are we. We're raised in the newness of life. Jesus gave himself to death but conquered death by the power of the Spirit. And so do we. It's by the spiritual new birth that we're made alive. But as we come to the water, we identify with Christ in His resurrection. Our old lives are dead. They're buried through baptism. And we're made alive by the same. Amen. Amen. There's something about the water that makes us alive. My wife had me to bring some plants home the other day. They were out at the corner of the building over there. And we had bought these two evergreens, put them out here. But they started to die. And obviously, they were dying because they weren't getting enough water. So she asked me to bring them home so she could see if she could resurrect them. And, you know, we're praying for miracles. We still believe in miracles. If I were to take them home, they would be more dead than ever. Well, she has a way with things and she can make things grow and um but you know it's a growing point in our lives when we come to christ and we obey him we begin to walk those steps of obedience toward him whatever he tells us to do we do it and we begin to see the miracles that god wants to have in our lives you've been listening to destiny city church a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.